Hello, and welcome to This is Cannabis from X-Ray FM, the show that takes an insider look at the Oregon cannabis scene. Uh, I'm your host, Lee Henderson, co-founder of Portland Craft Cannabis Company, Hi-Fi Farms, and with me in the studio today is my co-host, Emma Chasen, the founder of Eminent Consulting. Hi. Hi. How are you? I am okay. I am uh, just getting over the flu. Right. Uh, you, uh, I'm, I, I fear that I'm going to be coughing a lot through this interview. Okay, that's okay. I'm, we'll I'm not contagious anymore. You. Um, hold, please hold space for me. I will me, hold Emma. space for I'm you. Not and contagious your anymore. We're in we're in a relatively tiny room, and I don't want you to be alarmed because you knew I was sick. That I like, oh, he's coughing all over me. My immune system can take it. Okay, come at yeah. me, bro. You're strong. All right, great. Um, <laughs> I, you, I will believe me. That's gonna happen because I was at an event last night, and it was like there was a bar. It was a at a bar or at a kind of a club bar, and. Um, a lounge. It's really nice. more of a lounge. Okay, okay. And uh, there was a band, and a lot of my friends there. It was an industry event, but I still was catching up with a lot of old friends from the industry, and so you have to, you know, obviously raise your voice and talk yes. over this band. Yes. You know, it went till about 10, and around 9 o'clock, you know, I realized that my voice was starting to really get scratchy, and I was like, oh, I have to do a show tomorrow, and I'm just getting over being sick. I really hope I don't wake up tomorrow morning, like, with a, like, having lost my voice. Yep. Uh, uh, so I did not do that, but I am feeling... <coughs> there it is. Excuse me. I'm sorry, listening audience. How are you? What have you been up to? I'm doing fairly well. Um, You're traveling a lot. I'm traveling a lot. And also, so this past week, I have been in Portland prepping for travel, but I haven't really had a home because, uh, yeah, so my um, girlfriend, now ex-girlfriend, who I live with, she has her best friend in town who like came here because of our breakup because she was sad. So like, I can't be in that apartment with right. them. That's incredibly awkward. Yeah. So I've been- That sounds like a dark indie comedy. Yeah, not like for me. Movie. Yeah. Not for me. Yeah. So I've been staying for the past week with my um, dear, dear friend and also business partner in his like tiny little studio we call it the bungalow. Um and that's been fun. I mean, if you really want to like test your relationship with somebody, stay in like a 700 square foot uh, apartment with and, them. And talk about work the whole week. time? You know, we don't talk about work too oh, that's much, good. which is good. We talk about work a lot. Yeah. But we also talk about a lot of just like a, a myriad topics. Um, mm -hmm. He is one of the only people who I can like truly talk to for like 15 hours straight. Yeah, about, he's an incredible like, guy. Oh, yeah. He's Matt. my favorite person. He's a Matt Taylor. Man. Look yeah. him up. He's a, he is a Renaissance man. Yeah, for real. Truly. Um, one of my, one, uh, legitimately one of my favorite people I've met in the, in the industry. Completely agreed. Um, and he just had to give up his ferret who is very geriatric and old and, and really lost a lot of like mobility in his back legs. And Matt is constantly around doing a million things. And so wasn't there for the ferret. So the ferret, like he gave the ferret up he gave it to the doctor to like take care of <laughs> i am trying so hard not know, to laugh right now Go, please basically continue. the ferret was released to like a ferret a hospice for ferrets um and he was really sad about it because he's had the ferret for like seven years he was just like really <laughs> didn't realize <laughs> ferret hospice was a thing i know please continue this I'm doctor sorry. has like 19 ferrets that she cares for. It's insane. Anyway, um, so Matt had just... That is one of the single most Portland things I've yep, ever heard in my yep, life. Yep, yep, yep. Wow. Um, so Matt had just given up his ferret, and I kind of, like, moved in right after. <laughs> <laughs> So I like took the took the place yeah. of like small Emma, let's, animal kind of work on your self esteem. I think she's uh, like put me in the ferret cage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, the, the, the 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 old the old uh, immobile, probably presumably incontinent <laughs> ferret. Uh, you know, uh, and now I'm there. I'm a replacement. Good lord, we need to go have coffee after this and like find out what's going on with you. That's just. Hilarious! Oh my God! By the way, can I stop you right there? I want yes. to hear more about the, the but this. But I want to say, per our um, last episode, we are starting an indie folk band called Honey Tommy. I definitely yes. think that we should start another band uh, called Geriatric Ferret. Awesome! Um, I'm into it. I haven't it. decided what kind of music we're going to play yet. It's going to be on the harder side. I think Geriatric yeah. Ferret really has sort of like yeah, a, like kind metal of a, doom, you know? Yeah. With yeah, like little like elements of jazz. With a little bit of element of jazz. You know, the band that I saw Geriatric. last night at this event that I went to, it was it was sponsored by 
the Craft Cannabis Alliance, and it awesome. was a fundraiser for the One Fix uh, campaign, which is the campaign to allow uh, legal interstate uh, transfer of cannabis. Awesome. Um, so, but they were so it was an electro swing band. Whoa! And it, it was really good. That actually sounds like um, I would love to listen to it. It was it was like so it was really funny, and I kept I kept remarking about it when I was having conversations with the folks. But like so, the band was a bunch of like you know younger you know they were young guys, but jazz hip hip cats in like you know suits and sort mm. of bowler hats or whatever okay all playing um brass instruments and then there was a drummer and then there was one guy with the flat build hat like long hair almost like white dreads and uh. he was like on the laptop and i was like what an interesting wow. sort of juxtaposition yeah. you know because it was like dudes in suits you know and then this guy, <laughs> who I'm guy sure guy. was a lovely guy, but it was just, uh, it was stylistically, stylistically, stark. and they were they all part of the same band. They were an electro fusion swing band. And the music, and, and honestly, the, I, the music was like super, I was like, I was bumping all night. That's awesome. Yeah, it sounds like something that I would actually really like to dance to. Yeah, people were dancing. Yeah, people I love were, swing were really, music. And we're really doing a little electro. <laughs> That's cool. Geriatric, geriatric ferret. Geriatric ferret can really learn a lot from. From that electro fusion swing band. Yeah. So so you're staying with Matt. How yes. long is that going to be going on for? So uh, it was actually so tomorrow I go to New York. Right. Which oh, was of the course. first leg like, yeah. of my travel. So um, last night was the last night, which was kind of like bittersweet. We had like a nighttime routine down. We were like smoke weed and like cuddle on his couch and either like watch something that was informative. Or he would like play guitar because he plays a lot of music and I would just like fall asleep to him playing guitar. It was really nice. Um, so, yeah, if you want to test your relationship sure. with somebody, do that. I feel very lucky and grateful that like it was amazing. I would do it again. And I think I hope that he would say the same. <laughs> right. Right. You're like, I'm not going to do it again. No. I, I would. Do but it I again, would. But yeah. I want to. Yeah. Yeah. It's also like he's what would like you guys a man. Watch? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. He's I a, clean yeah, the yeah. house. Yeah. So like I'm I'm definitely like Italian wife. Mm -hmm. We have a joke that like I'm his like wife mother. Weird. Because I just like mm -hmm. come in and I'll clean his house and cook him food and like fold all his clothes that he just like throws everywhere. That's so nice. Yeah. So it's a good it's a good rapport. I think it's a little give and take. Um, yeah. But what would we watch? So we would either watch Adventure Time or what is it? I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know what so Adventure is. Time mm -hmm. is I don't really like know what I mean, I know what it is, but I haven't watched it a it ton. Sounds like a child's program. To me. It is, but it's like a, it's very deep. It has a lot of like profound moments. Um, would like, would my children? In, is it for grownups? Yes. No. You're. It is. It's for both. So your children would enjoy it. Okay. For sure. Okay. Um, but also like watching it as an adult, I I enjoy it as well. We watched this amazing episode on the food chain that was just like incredibly deep and spiritual about how like energy gets recycled. Like you go. From a, a caterpillar eating a plant to like plant getting eaten, decom decomposition. It was just on many levels very cool. So either we watch Adventure Time or we would watch something um, informative. You know, like the the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s series on Netflix. Yeah. So we would watch yeah. an episode of that. So last night we went uh, deep into the 90s, learned a lot about um, George H.W. Bush, foreign policy. and then The when, breakup of the Cold War. Yep. And then when Clinton came on board and, and focused on economics and then turned really like conservative to placate. Um, Triangulation. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. It was, That's my stuff right there. It's really cool. Yeah, it's I love, really I love... <clears throat> cool. Yeah. Matt and I both really love to learn. Yep. information yeah. um, and then like talk about it and think about it and relate it to like what's happening here and those particularly like that series um, that show on Netflix it's really fascinating to see like things that happened in the 60s that are like now like replaying itself we watched a Nixon episode I guess I was in the 70s um, yeah and like to Nixon, think about in George Wallace especially I would have yeah yeah like and to like see what was happening with them and then be like wow look at our political landscape now Rachel Maddow did a great podcast I I just finished listening to it was called Bagman and mm. it was all about um, Spiro Agnew uh, who was Nixon's vice president, and he had to resign. He re got caught in sort of like a bribery scandal and mm -hmm. resigned just before Nixon was forced out of office. Um, and it's yeah, lots of echoes of yeah, mm, it's crazy. That are happening now. It's crazy. We don't learn anything. 
Yeah, we're a stupid country. We're such we're stu- stupid, stupid country. People. We're stupid people. Yeah, yeah. So that's really <laughs> the takeaway from yeah. from it. But it's uh, it's uh, well, I'm, I I am deeply, deeply. I'm I would say I'm beyond fascinated. I'm obsessed with the Cold War. I'm obsessed with uh, particularly from the Soviet side, like Soviet Russia, the USSR is something that like I I've read a lot of Solzhenitsyn. I've read Dostoevsky. I mean, I know Dostoevsky sort of predates, but I've read a lot about mm. read a lot about Joseph Stalin, mm-hmm. who's a very very and just sort of the history of the gulag system, the history of sort of Article 57 and and sort of like, you know, uh, just the whole that whole period of time from about post World War Two to 89 um, uh, Gorbachev, like that, yeah. you know, the, 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 all of that stuff. I read I've, I've read a bunch of books about about the Soviet Union and, and, yeah. uh, and the Soviets, the, the, the system by like the mid 70s and then on through 89 was is to me is incredibly fascinating it is fascinating well yeah i should also mention that like matt and i get super stoned whenever we do these nighttime activities and so last night we we were watching an episode that talked about gorbachev and like coming out of the all the resistance he he sort of felt yeah and just like we matt and i both had this moment where we looked to each other and we were like like the it the it's crazy that russia like has never been well you know what i mean like it's never gotten fixed per se it hasn't had a like golden pax romana era for a very long time for a very long time and that that is fascinating have you ever read any um dostoevsky no oh man crime and punishment man yeah it's it's like i think it's not my not necessarily my favorite book of all time but it's i think the best book i've ever written i've ever read excuse me you've ever written (laughs) i I loved writing crime and punishment uh about 19th century russia uh i loved it okay i'll check it out by lee henderson yeah no crime and punishment by dostoevsky is is uh is like just just it's an insane it's an insanely brilliant like otherworldly book Mm, but yeah i know what you mean i know what you mean about like just russia just never really caught a break yeah really just went from like one trial after the other and i mean where it's at now is awesome not great okay (laughs) um all right so Cool. So <laughs> let's let's downshift a little bit. Just easy transition. <laughs> easy transition from sorry, state of the Russian people. <laughs> Our guest today is James Sahadny, the co-founder and chief creative officer at Seattle-based Dope Media. Uh, in 2011, James and several of his friends came together on an idea for developing a modern cannabis advocacy magazine and founded Dope. Uh, eight years later, they enjoy a global audience of over a half million people on social media and publish eight localized editions of its magazine across six states. Dope has featured numerous in-depth interviews with patients, activists, celebrities, and more advocating on behalf of the medical marijuana and adult use legalization movement worldwide. Uh, earlier this year, Dope Magazine was, or Dope Media, excuse me, was acquired by High Times Magazine in a multi, multi-million dollar deal. Um, full disclosure, my company, Hi-Fi Farms, has been profiled in Dope in the past. James, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Welcome. Thanks for coming in. Of course. So you live in Seattle. Correct. And you drove down yesterday. Yep. Mm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for coming. It's a beautiful Making drive. the pilgrimage. Yes. Yes, the five south pilgrimage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is the, is the, is the, is, are there going to be tolls on five south or is that, do you, have you guys are seen there? that? There's going to be tolls in, the, in on one of the highways. Like maybe it's 205. I don't know. Whoa, that's yeah. crazy. I'm from New York where there are tolls everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like you cross a bridge and you have right. to pay $20. It's insane. And when I first moved out here, it, I was like, oh my God, there are no tolls. <laughs> this is amazing. So that sucks well, that welcome, they're coming. You know, you're going to bring a little bit of it with you. Yeah, you know? I, I guess. Oof. Um, okay. So we're. Uh, okay, so James, tell us a little bit about yourself, please, and how you got your start in publishing, and then we'll get into dope. Sure. It was a um, kind of a screwball affair of things that happened to get me to where I am today. I, uh, When I was in my early 20s, I was, you know, what doing most kids do in their early 20s is trying to figure out life in mm-hmm. general and figure out what my direction is, and I wasn't the type that just jumped right into college after high school. I uh, actually took a pause and wanted to you know think about it for a minute which now in retrospect is probably a really smart thing and I encourage a lot of people to do that if they're still figuring out their lives but at the time you know I just wanted to kind of have a few years of fun and I decided to start bartending and you know like most people to start bartending it's a means to an end but it's also you know adds a nice social component to your 
you know, your day-to-day uh, routine. So got into bartending and loved it. And of course, you know, I, I'm the kind of person that once I get into something, I want to, you know, be able to kind of stretch my legs out creatively. And so I started doing flair bartending, which right. is the, you know, kind of the, the juggling and the, you know, performance style bartending, I Whoa. guess you would call it like, like Tom Cruise on cocktail. Sure, that's, sure, sure. that's the common. Whoa, do you like things <laughs> on fire? Yeah. We used to juggle flaming bottles and blow fire and do all that cool. stuff. And, um, so we got pretty good. And, um, you know, this is actually how I met one of my business partners, Evan was, um, through this. And we were like the only two guys in Seattle at the time doing it that we knew of. Mm. And, um, we, we met each other. We we're actually working like a block away from each other. Didn't even know each other. And then one day someone was like, did you know there's a guy across the street that does that too? And I was like, no. And and then we just ended up meeting, and we since then we've been like inseparable. So you went out awesome. drink, you went out drinking, and then yeah, we, were lifelong friends. Well, yeah. even geekier than that, yeah. we went to the park and practiced flare bartending together. <laughs> which this is what you do: you go to a park with a bag full of bottles, and you sit there and juggle it. And people are like, "What are these guys doing out here juggling like Malibu bottles?" You know. So, anyways, long story short, is we you know we got really good. We started actually competing nationally doing this. Um, mm. Side note: one, at one point we were ranked third in the world um, in the tandem competition. So Evan Damn. and I competed wow. in Vegas and yeah. on the big stage, I guess you'd call it. But it was pretty cool. And um, it was a, you know, I call this a different part of my life, but <laughs> it was definitely a, a time where I, you know, kind of got to live that, you know, kind of fun, carefree lifestyle. And then, mm. so anyways, we we're at this competition in Houston one day and I was, we just got done competing. Of course, all the bartenders were like, all right, where's next? Let's go party, you know? And we're looking for a spot to go, to go hang out. And we found a magazine that was um, called 944 Magazine. And it was a regional like a lifestyle magazine that talked about bars and restaurants and fashion and culture and is a little free free rag though you can just pick up so we grabbed it and we you know ended up going to some cool bar that they talked about in the magazine and i was like why doesn't seattle have this you know and i was just like you know what so we came back and you know of course me being the entrepreneur since i was you know a a child i was like we should start a magazine and then evan was like okay let's start a magazine so we were just two bartenders you know i had no clue we don't have any background in publishing or journalism or anything right just grabbed a couple like how-to books you know how to start a magazine for dummies you know literally i think that was the book i bought and then uh, i took a quick crash course in like you know the uh, adobe suite and learned you know in design and photoshop and all that and like within six months we launched our magazine Magazine, and it was called D-List Magazine, which um, stood for Dress, Dine, Drink, and Dance. So the D, D had multiple meanings. But um, so we kind of just took that model of what we saw in Houston, and we were just like, let's bring this to Seattle. So the first magazine was kind of goofy, and it was kind of, you know, like my first magazine. You know, it didn't really look polished or professional, but we got it out the door, and our bartending connections through that, through that world, we were able to bring in some big advertising on our first issue, which is like unheard of. So we had like Sky Vodka and Budweiser advertising wow. in this like no-name magazine yeah. that no one's heard of, right? And we got it out there, and, and since then, I mean, it, it ran month every month for um, – shoot seven years we ran it for up there and that was sort of my catalyst sort of into the right uh, the media the media world damn that's so cool it's a quick quick just barf of uh, information no, I, love no, that's awesome. I love it do you still you i obviously don't you don't bartend but do you still like juggle i yeah i mean, I mean it's like riding a bike you don't really forget yeah, how to do yeah. it you know i want to learn is it something you can learn at age 41 oh yeah juggling. yeah my, why not yeah. pick up a hobby my ch- i keep telling my daughters i'm gonna learn how to juggle <laughs> anyway, uh, all right. So, all right. So, let's talk about dope. Um, yeah. Dope has described itself as being uh, dedicated to creating purposeful, relevant conversations to normalize legal cannabis use and culture in broader society through the use of creative design, style, and events, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is wonderful. And um, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But so, I wanted to ask you if you can expound on that for us. And and I want to ask you how you see sort of Dope's mission now and how it's changed uh, over the years. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something when we decided to start the magazine, this was during the medical years in Washington state. So it was, you know, we launched it in 2011. So it was a year before, you know, the recreational laws passed. So we were in it, you know, not really even, I guess we say planning on recreational happening. Cause at the time it just, no one really knew it was still very, you know, there was a movement started happening and it felt like so- something was about to bubble up. But at the time we're like, let's just do this because my partner david tran he uh, at the time owned a uh, dispensary he bought into a dispensary in mm-hmm. seattle and so he wanted a, an outlet to, to market his his dispensary basically and he's like well you guys know how to make magazines why don't you start a magazine so it was dope was founded primarily on on medical you know storytelling and talking about the medical community and dope actually the acronym when we first started it stood for defending our patients everywhere mm. and we've since changed it to defending our plant everywhere since it's obviously more broad broad facing now but yep. 
it was super patient focused. Um, we did a patient of the month every month where people would write in stories um, talking about how they use medical cannabis to treat their ailments. And we would um, partner with a dispensary and then, you know, donate an ounce to each patient of the month every month of, you know, a strain that they wanted to, you know, use for their medical treatments. And so, I mean, it was, I mean, we were full blown talking about medical. And I think a lot of people don't know that nowadays because they see the, you know, the fancy covers with all right, the right, right, you know, sure. big, big celebrities. Yeah, on I didn't it. know that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. it's kind of a cool thing that, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I love the fact that we stayed in our, you know, our medical room. And even when we came to Oregon, it was, you know, we came here before recreational happened. You know, we always wanted to sort of get in with the medical community first. Yeah, I remember. Understand that community as much as we can. And then if recreational comes along, then I feel like we're well positioned because we've shown that like, hey, we're not just here riding the green wave. You know, we're we're here because we actually have stories to tell about this community first. And I think that's how we built our brand organically was start, at, you know, start with those people and then make sure they are represented. And then you can build on top of that. And I think that's, you know, always been our mantra. So I guess over the years, that's definitely something that's. Mm-hmm. has changed a bit you know we, we we still try to tell medical stories and yeah. issues but there's so much now coming at you it's you gotta you know talk about everything now especially being a lifestyle magazine you know you can't really stay too focused on one specific aspect but we'll never stop talking about that part of it as well great mm. you know it's interesting you and I, I feel like have a lot in common you mm-hmm. know because uh the sort of the 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 mission that i described there you know using kind of creative design and style and yeah. events uh, that's very much a similar strategy that I've taken with Hi-Fi Farms, or Hi-Fi Farms has taken, excuse me, you know, like, as far as, as really trying to bring, you know, bring people into the space, it, it, while at the same time, um, you know, it, or really, really uh, introducing people to what it is that we're doing, and yeah. what it is that this, that cannabis does, yeah. and then hopefully bringing them into the space, yeah. you know, uh, at least, uh, on principle if they don't even become consumers or whatever it is, you know? So, I mean, I really applaud that because you guys do a really great job. I mean, I've been reading dope since... Yeah, I mean, like, since the medical days. When was that, like, 2015? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. 2014, yeah. I yeah. want to say. Um, yep. I can remember it as far back as kind of I've, you know, we started Hi-Fi in 2014, and I, I can remember kind of dope being around at the be- when we were getting our start. Yeah. So Dope's mission has changed over the years, um, kind of moving away from those, those still including, you know, advocacy for medical cannabis, yeah. and, and now it really has become this lifestyle publication, right? Yeah. Like, how, how do you see that? Like, how, you know, what's, what's the, what's, in your opinion, what's the lifestyle <laughs> well it's i mean it's the, the crazy thing is cannabis touches every lifestyle right sure. i mean mm-hmm. you talk about i mean that's that's the beauty of our industry is that it, there it's not a very you know like you know binary sort of conversation it's i mean you can go any direction you want to go and you know kind of touching on the like how you know our mission statement we, we started was like we need to change the conversation from this is, you know, the devil's lettuce to this is fine, you know, and that was kind of like, and we're like, how do we do that, right? And, you know, with my magazine background, I, you know, I understood what people, you know, kind of look for, you know, ways to sort of get in front of them. So what I wanted to do is create a magazine that wasn't very like blatantly in your face, like screaming like cannabis, you know, right. I wanted to use it sort of like as a Trojan horse to sort of get into households and to, you know, get onto grandma's cafe, you know, kitchen counter mm-hmm. without it feeling offensive or without it having any kind of those, you know, like knee jerk, like, oh, you know, this is, you know, right. You know, the the half naked gals in there with the big, right, bombs, right, right. Like you know, right. standard. Yeah. I mean, you standard guys remember, stuff. we both, we all remember like back during that period of time. I mean, some of the, some of the kind of standard tropes that that were being used to promote cannabis use was so tacky. Oh yeah, and, and the vape, like, the boob sexist. vape pen. I love the vape pen, like sandwiched in the cleavage. Oh the girl wow, was just like just sipping out the cleave. Oh man, well, I missed that one in particular. <laughs> that but, one is. But uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna Google image it later for sure. Definitely wasn't uh, published in dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, no, I mean it was. It was. It was. I don't want to be too critical of it for you know. I don't want to. Bang on anybody, but I I it's didn't just, I didn't like it's it. It's also not necessarily useful when trying to reduce stigma or when trying to pull new people in. Exactly. Which by creating, like you just said, that Trojan horse to go onto Grandma's kitchen counter, and it's fine. I mean, we have a dope magazine sitting in between us, and Iron Chef Cat Cora is on it, mm-hmm. and like I know that. I watch the Food Network a lot. I know that my grandma and hi, my mom. Hi, by the way. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> definitely. Hi. Um, watch the Food Network a lot, right? So it's mm-hmm. something that they could easily um, like engage with yeah. without them feeling alienated from it, which is the whole point. And that combined with the kind of gra- grassroots approach of not forgetting the medical community. I really applaud you for that. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it was something, you know, and it was, and, and this was all thought out ahead of time. This wasn't of something course. that we kind of like, you know, kind of found ourselves needing to go towards for a PR stunt or anything. It was literally like, 
when we sat down when we were like well, how do we how are we gonna do this you know the, even the name dope was hard for us at first because people were like right oh, dope mm-hmm. you know that could mm-hmm. mean you know heroin and you know and all these things and we're like but you know in our generation that means something awesome or that means something good and it means right, can- right. cannabis to a lot of people yeah too. you kind of take the reclaim the word a little so bit, we wanted right? to reclaim the word you, trust me people were like you should change it to hope or you should change no. it to this you know we're just like you know what the word dope is gonna hope get- magazine sounds like <laughs> something that you get like when you're leaving church on Sunday morning you know <laughs> no, what I mean yeah that, uh, whoa <laughs> so uh, we, we had a little bit of uphill battle with that, but but having that word dope kind of gave us a little bit, I don't want to say that street cred, but it gave us a little bit of that edge too. So it wasn't just that we were presenting this like, you know, good feeling sort of lifestyle cannabis magazine. It also gave us a little bit of an edge too. So it was this kind of perfect conundrum of, mm. you know, like being able to like present cannabis in a new way, which we thought was, you know, kind of opposite of sort of how it has been over the last right. you know, many decades. But also using like really, you know, clever design, using really, you know, like clean aesthetics, you know, so it looks like any other magazine you pull off a shelf. And it, again, it wasn't just like a giant front cover with big nugs on it, you know, yeah, and, right. and that's hard for people to get. So I think, you know, using design, you know, and creativity to really help kind of bring the story into people's you know homes is really important to us yeah I mean finding different ways to tell the cannabis story still being proud of cannabis mm-hmm. but you know finding new conversations around cannabis is something I think you guys do really really well something I really uh, you know again applaud um, because it's something that I've I try to do myself. Yeah. Um, Okay, so you told me that your day-to-day role is keeping the brand relevant and relatable. How do you see that? You know, because I mean, it's like like we were just saying, like yeah. it's a changing, it's a moving target. Like yeah. the conversation is always changing. And right? you have so many different markets, and right? There's so, so many. That's a great point. So yes. there's a lot of different different markets have way different approaches to yeah. the industry. The Oregon industry is not the same as California, Absolutely, et and that's why originally, when, again, part of our plan was we didn't want to do this just one big national magazine because mm-hmm. there's too many stories to be told, right? I mean, there's too many regional conversations to be had. And so, you know, I think we are one of the very few platforms that actually do a regional, you know, kind of addition that is coupled with the national stories as well. So, you know, even for advertising, it's like, why would you want to go throw your dollars in California, you know, magazines when you're in Oregon and no one, you know, right. you, right. Can't, you can't buy, you can't yeah, buy yeah. the product. So it's, so when we created that model, we're really specific to like being able to help, you know, the regional companies because we saw this as sort of being a, you know, play by play of state by state by state and you can't just make a big old national model. You can, obviously. There's mm-hmm. high times and magazines that have been very successful doing that. But I think once legalization started happening, once it sort of started getting really, you know, regionalized, we had to make that decision to to keep it that way. But like you said, I mean, the stories, I mean, it's it's incredible. Like you just, the beauty is there's never an ending of content to be had, you know? So, you know, I mean, it's, it's from the feel good stories, you know, to the, to the celebrities, to the social justice stuff, to the, you know, medical stuff. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. just, it never ends. You know, now of course we, you know, everyone's following the politics on a day by day basis and everything else around it. And then of course, internationally now too, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm following the money. I mean, I follow all of it, but I mean, yeah. I'm very interested in sort of the, 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 the money that's coming in, Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. the, the business, how it's becoming really like a, global you know multi-billion dollar business as opposed to like me and some folks that i know who are all growing weed you know uh, which obviously has been happening over years but it's, i feel like it's really happening now it's, you know and has been really happening for six months and anyone that's been months. in it for more than you know say five years honestly and it's crazy saying that because that's such a small amount of time but right. you're almost considered a veteran now if you've been doing it for more yeah, than we're five like years old gray beards because <laughs> i've been doing this since 2014 yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at cannabis us. years are like dog years man yeah. oh my god Three years, yeah. it's yeah. like and then when you compound years. that with like how time is moving so slow in the trump era it's yeah. like <laughs> you guys remember time warp do you guys remember in like the movie interstellar where they went on that planet they were there for like a day yep. but they came back and it had been like 35 yeah. years that's yeah. That's what I feel like we're in now. Yes. Uh, great. So, <laughs> or like, I think Inception had that same sort of thing where it's like they went on, they were in the deep in the dream. I don't know. I'm just getting over the flu and I watched a bunch of movies while I was sick. And okay. I, that was that's two of them. Yeah. That's where it is. All right, great. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the conversation is always changing. And, but it does seem like, like, so let me ask you this. Like, how do you, how do you think it's going as far as, the conversations around cannabis as far, you know, particularly re- regarding, you know, a kind of broader social acceptance and, and destigmatization and all that stuff. I mean, you probably are pretty good 
Yeah, I mean, I guess you I'm, see a lot. I, yeah, we're we're kind of a, a sponge to all the stuff that gets you know it's going on out there. Everyone wants to tell us what's going on, so it's kind of nice. But you know, I mean, I guess overall, it's it, you just kind of see it by the amount of people that are coming into the space. And you know, you can say they're you know jumping on the bandwagon or whatnot, but I think at the same time, I think a lot of people are just finally comfortable coming out of the totally. space. And that goes from you know celebrities wanting to be on our cover. I mean, trust me, when we first started, it was pulling teeth to get anyone with any kind of a like I yeah. guess you would say household household name to yeah. be on our cover. But what was cool is we were able to feature more people that were kind of famous, I guess you say, within the within the true cannabis industry. Like we had Rick Simpson on our cover mm-hmm. and, you know, people like that, that you mm-hmm. just people are like, who's Rick? You know, like yeah, Steve D'Angelo, Steve D'Angelo yeah. and, you know, people like that. So it was really cool back in then that we were able to kind of feature the canna celebrities. But nowadays, you know, people, you know, what moves magazines, of course, is seeing, you know, the Iron Chef Cat Coras mm-hmm. or the, you know, people like that. But I think, you know, I definitely seen seen this kind of the celebrity embraces a sort of a good sort of, I think, you know, test of, of over overall the general market of how people are feeling about it and then of course the investors are the other part of it too because you probably remember back in you know the early aughts or whatever we call this it was like nobody would touch this with a 10-foot pole as far as in like true like you know yeah. vvc money sure. they're just like no 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 federally legal stay away stay away now it's like oh my god is like you you can't even walk out the door with someone throwing a bag of cash at you if you have a halfway decent can happens to me yeah. all the time <laughs> i just I'm like scrooge mcduck just swimming in a swimming pool of gold coins gold. No, so. <laughs> well that's that's the so, perception of the world yeah yeah right no now. totally yeah. totally no but you're right i mean there's there's there's, there's so much activity mm-hmm. happening i mean if yeah. i read the kind of the business rags for the cannabis business rags i mean we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars it's obviously wild. so yeah um i'm waiting for some of that scrooge mcduck money but we'll get there later uh so going back to what you're saying though about like celebrities on the cover and stuff like so what have been some of your favorite interviews uh over the years in the magazine i'm curious oh man there's been so many i just i, I lose track because you know we've done hundreds of issues and we've printed like three million magazines and it's it's been a wild ride and just trying to think back on all of them I'm like which one was my favorite but some of the ones that were kind of like i guess big i guess kind of you know you know flagpoles during the time when it happened you know bernie sanders was a big one during the 2016 election campaign yeah. which mm. to us was like we got bernie <laughs> you know we were like that's amazing what? you know and this was during the you know bernie mania time too so that was a big deal and then you know we did our we did the very first you know transgender person on a on a cannabis cover um with uh, laganja estrania which was a really mm. cool you know milestone for us because we you know we felt it was very important to also tell you know that side of the world because right. again that gets very little yep. coverage you know in in the the lgbtq world it's um it's not talked about very often but but um her coming on the cover and, and really kind of saying like hey look you know i do this i do that but i i use cannabis and i'm proud obviously her name is laganja yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. i love her she's I'm, rad yeah i'm a big rupaul's drag race fan okay so, yeah. you, you know it so I, oh i know so i mean outside of the you know the more kind of like standard fair covers like we got you know we're doing an, uh, a piece on mike tyson for the january cover which you know when we found out he was coming into the industry we're like whoa tyson you know like what's tyson doing he's got a farm out in vegas whoa. called tyson uh, Ranch. Vegas, of course. Ah. Yeah, yeah. So wow. yeah, he was actually at our golden ticket in Vegas this last, this past, you know, MJ Biz uh, week, and he uh, just hung out the whole night, just hung out with people, just smoked weed and chatted it up with everyone, and it was kind of trip because yeah, I'm a big boxing fan. Okay. And, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, I grew up in the in the 80s, and I, I grew up. Yeah. I, I was just like Mike Tyson. How old are you? <laughs> I'm 40. Yeah, so I'm 41. So yeah, we're like. Yeah, I remember he was the biggest thing in you, sports. You couldn't. It was him and Michael Jordan, right? Yeah, so <laughs> that was it. So I mean, just people like that, seeing them come into the space and hearing their story of how they use cannabis to help with their lives and you know change the course of their of what they you know how they were and whatnot is is, is really beautiful and i think it's cool to just continue to hear these stories day after day yeah 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 bernie sanders that's a that's huge yeah. dude oh my god <laughs> um all right well let's take a break there and we will come right back with james zahadney you are listening to this is cannabis on x-ray fm <laughs> This is Cannabis from X-Ray FM is available as a podcast through the Apple Music Store. Please rate and subscribe so that if you ever miss an episode live on the air, you can still keep up with us.
All right, and we are back. If you were just joining us, you are listening to This is Cannabis on X-Ray FM, the show that takes an insider look at the Oregon cannabis scene. My name is Lee Henderson, and with me in the studio is my co-host, Emma Chasen, and our guest today is James Zahadny, the co-founder and chief creative officer at Seattle-based Dope Media. Uh, James, thank, for, thank you for staying with us. Yes, of course. Uh, Emma, thank you for staying with us. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, all right, so James, I want to hear, would you please tell us the story of how you guys came to be acquired by High Times Magazine, oh. the gold standard oh. man of uh, <laughs> cannabis media? Well, you know, I mean, it was, gosh, it, it was kind of a long time coming. It's weird because no one really, you know, you don't hear about it until, of course, it happens and whatnot, but... We were, you know, we were growing at lightning speed and we had a few, you know, um, investment rounds before and we, you know, always were just putting fuel in the rocket ship to, you know, keep going as fast as we could. And, you know, and with a company like this and it, it can go in many directions, you know, with the events and with the publication and all the, you know, other squirrels that you can chase, you know, we, you know, we, we were just kind of just running and gunning as fast as we can and, you know, Obviously, when you're doing that, you're you know you're you're burning as fast as you're building, and it's it's one of those hard things to kind of keep keep pace on, you know, at a, at a point. And so, you know, we, we started kind of finding ourselves at a point where we're like, you know, what's the next step? You know, like, what are we gonna do? And you know, sort of the logical, you know, like continuation of Dope Magazine. And you know, at the time, we were looking for a CEO, and um, we we were uh, lucky to find uh, George Jage, who was the the former president of uh, the MJ BizCon, um, which, you know, is obviously a a well-known thing in the industry. And so George did a great job over there, sort of, you know, helping to build that over the years. And then um, he um, exited over there. And then we were lucky enough to grab him and, you know, kind of get him in the CEO seat to help sort of position ourselves for, you know, another potential, you know, investment round or Mm -hmm. acquisition, obviously. and so, you know, over the course of about a year and a half, he was with us and, and he's still with us. But we, um, you know, worked on sort of like figuring out what was our next logical step with our with our board and everyone else. And, um, you know, we had a we had definitely a, a few interested suitors and, you know, we kind of were like figuring out who made sense. And then, um, you know, it came down to the point that we had to kind of pick and choose of what we wanted to do. And, you know, we were blessed and lucky enough to have, you know, choices. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> obviously that's that's one. And uh, when we uh, finally got the offer from High Times, we were just like, I mean, it makes sense you know i mean it's the legacy totally. the legacy of all legacy brands and cannabis totally um so it's it was something that we you know we felt aligned they they told us you know kind of their plans of you know trying to be able to you know through economies of scale and everything trying to be able to make a, a big you know marketing sort of platform for anyone in cannabis through all the different you know like uh, publications and, and things that they're acquiring at the time and so you know now we have culture and us and high times and you know and a couple other that they're working on building but they, they just wanted to kind of help be able to give you know, the advertisers and people in the industry options throughout multiple, you know, outlets. So mm. they liked what we were doing with the kind of the regional approach that we That's did. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. I would imagine they saw you guys as really like uh, ground level. Yeah. On the pulse of the market. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's you the know, thing is ground level acquisition. People look at us like we're sort of, you know, the the I guess the the cannabis two point you know, and it's sort of like, you know, high times was there since day one and they're kind of the I mean like OGs. the late sixties, right? I mean yeah. early, early seventies, something like that. Seventy four, I think they started. Okay, yeah. So forty four years or Wow. Yeah, I mean they you, you can't deny what they did and they took chances when, you know, we weren't even you know, yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> swimming in our mom's bellies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Talk about taking chances. I mean, the world was a lot different. Wow. Yep. And the celebrities and people that got on those covers and, you know, talked about what they did and, you know, and doing it during this black, you know, black market eras. And, you know, it just, you know, bravo, kudos to them. But I think they really saw us as sort of the next kind of generation of cannabis. And, you know, who are the, who are the, you know, the the, the younger crowd now growing up with? And, you know, High Times might have been your, your dad's magazine and the right. dope is maybe like your magazine as, mm-hmm. a, as a young professional or whatever, you know, we, we want to call it. So, they, they really liked what we were doing in the events, too, because, you know, we do actually have a lot of crossover, like, in our cups and, and stuff like that. But I think that they saw us working in markets that they really didn't, you know, get into as, as early as we did, and specifically the Northwest and, you know, in areas like that. So they really liked sort of that, the fact that we added a lot to their sort of their plate in terms of, you know, what we brought to the table. Can you tell our audience what you mean by the what you mean by the cups? Like, can you talk yeah. about your event series a little bit? Yeah, totally. I, I, I love the events because I, I was the architect of, of most of them. And, you know, 
and obviously the the cannabis cup which is high times cup they've been doing since early 2000s and you know before that in amsterdam and whatnot but, right um you know in the u.s for the early 2000s and it's i mean it's it's a great it's a great opportunity to you know show you know respect to a lot of people out there working hard to make beautiful products and you know we always wanted to do that and so when we came up we we, we were going to call it the dope cannabis cup and we got a cease and desist early on from high times they're like <laughs> you can't call a cannabis cup we're like okay okay we'll call it dope cup you know so we ended up changing it to dope cup and um we started it um the first one was in 2012 in washington so we started literally right after we started the magazine like within a year because we were also event guys you know from back in our you know nightlife sort of days with the bar world and everything in the d-list magazine we threw a lot of events then too so it made natural sense to sure. sort of bring, yeah, yeah. bring the events to cannabis so we um we started the cup and um it was basically a um it was, it was, it was small but we we kind of set it up similar to how we have it now it's sort of festival style really you know kind of get get the community out there show off their stuff and you know throw and give out some awards for the best and you know over the years we definitely refined it down by bringing in third-party judging now and you know really trying to you know expand on the overall festival and sort of like creative you know design of the events you know making them themed and have a lot of right. fun and they're elements. consumption friendly yeah and they're they're really set a spotlight lots of different groups in you know yeah. state by state it's you know and i tell people if you can throw events in the cannabis world you throw events in any world because it's yep. oh man the regulations that we have to deal with the hoops you have to totally. jump through and, and the mm -hmm. big gray areas of you can and can't do things it's so hard and you know we're rolling the dice every time we throw these events because you know we're taking what we think is regulation as best we can understand it and trying to stay within the scope of what is written and what is mm -hmm. told to us but there is no event permit you know only california has issued event actual cannabis consumption event permits you know there isn't one in washington or in oregon or in or in anywhere else we do these events so again it's like just working with the locals um, regulatory bodies and making sure that they are comfortable with what we're doing for them as much as we possibly can yeah yeah and most of the time it will be like their <laughs> their kind of personal take on it, yeah. right? That's That's been my experience where even like if you talk to a regulatory agent, you could get a different answer depending on who you're talking to. And, yeah. and most of the time it is just kind of this like, okay. Yeah, we're not going to say yes or no, exactly. but we're just going to say use your best judgment. We're exactly. Like, okay. oh, all right. And when you go from medical to recreational, and I don't know if you guys have been to any of the dope cups, but in Oregon specifically. Have, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So the first one we did was in 2015 and that was right before you know the medical started. Yeah. I'm sorry, recreational recreational started yeah. and oh man it was that year was amazing we had you know it was at ref the old refuge um spot and we had the you know, red man performed and i mean we sold out and this is great because you know it was still medical so a lot of people were sampling and handing out mm. samples and people walked out there like bandits man they're just like look at all this you know yeah. great samples we got and they, I mean, it was like the best event they've ever been to in their lives we got all this feedback and then the next year of course you know it flips to you know, adult use and now we're like Oh, okay. So how do we do this now? You can't sample anymore. You can't, you know, give out give out goodies anymore. So it becomes this like all of a sudden the public shows up and they're like, "All right, we're ready for the same experience." We've heard all these great yeah. things. <laughs> and then we're like, "Yeah, sorry, but you know, of course, it's our fault." You know, they they look at it like dope all of a sudden change the rules and we're like, right. "No, guys, like we're following the rules and unfortunately the, the rules have changed and that was a really hard sort of thing to explain to people and, and let them know as these rules are sort of just flip-flopped around, you know, it it, it makes wide, you know, wide changes in everything that you do so yeah I, I mean I want to ask you uh, about rule changes and about uh, about events you're the first person and, and I don't know how how much you'll be able to tell me mm -hmm. but you're the first person we've had in from the state of Washington oh, okay. and I wanted to know like wh what you can tell us about the what the market what the scene is like in Washington because I, I really don't know <laughs> I mean, all, I mean, I know a couple things. But, yeah, you know, by and large, Washington is very similar to Oregon. I mean, honestly, it's like they built. I mean, I think they're close enough in you know in years that they you know uh, went adult use that they weren't you know too far apart on their on their policies and regs. Um, same stuff, you know, can't you know smoke in public. You can't do yeah. you know all the the basic stuff. But then you know we don't have as tough rules on like packaging and, and whatnot up there. It's pretty it's pretty easy up there. That like child proofing stuff. It's it's you know it's it's, right. it's not going through like you know child proof certification or anything like that it's literally like if, if the guy shakes it and nothing flies out of it it's fine you know <laughs> they're like oh, flying, flying colors <laughs> looks good you know and so yeah it's it's a little bit looser but very very i would say it's like 90 percent, pretty much the same 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 regs as as you guys have down here minus like the you know the exit bags and, and that kind of stuff which is 
you can't see it though or look at it in a dispensary, right? Yeah, you can. You can. Yeah, you can. Okay, so, so that that's, changed. That's that's yeah, that's something that's never been an issue. You can put you can put out your products and it doesn't nothing needs to be opaque, you know, you can have everything mm. shown and there's no exit bags, there's no And you can like smell flour and like No, so that's, no, that's yeah. Cuz everything has to be in sealed containers. Right. Yes, but right. you can yeah. but it's not like Denver where everything is opaque, you know, like right. You, right, right, right. Packaging you can and everything. see it, you just can't really like interact with it. Correct. Yes. Got it. Yeah, I was talking to somebody last night at an event and I was at that they were saying how they just sort of took out a bunch of different sort of edible categories in Washington mm, yeah. and, and sort of what kind of a what kind of a bummer that is, you know, and they sort of did it uh, you know, it was a rule it was a rule change mm-hmm. and and now a bunch of companies are like, What the hell do we do? We make gummies and now you say we yeah. can't make gummies anymore. Right. You know? Yeah, um, that was a big one with the no, you know, candy that looks like it's intended for children thing. And yeah. people are like, Well, adults eat gummy bears. I mean, I eat gummy bears a lot. Exactly. <laughs> so, it's candy. Yeah, it's that's a that's a tricky one. Anyway, yeah. So I'm just I'm just curious, like so 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 that's the Washington um Scene, and then I'm wondering if you have any thoughts really on like sort of the state of the national industry. You know, I mean, like, I know we've talked about it a little bit as far as like you know the M and A and all the, the the money coming in, but just generally, like, how do you think things are going? Yeah, it, as someone who sees it a lot, uh, it's hard because it's like every state really has their own story, you know, and it's hard to say like there's a kind of a, a a string that goes through everyone outside of it. You know, we're all in the same industry, but you know the the regulations and stuff are so all over the board. You know, I mean, you hear about California, I mean. God, I mean, like every week it's like something changes. It's like all of a sudden CBDs are illegal, you know, and you're just like, wait, what? You know, and it's right. like literally they do, those poor guys are just literally having to like stop, drop and like completely change their business plans like on a monthly basis. It almost seems like, you know, why things get figured out. But, um, you know, overall, I think everyone is still just kind of settling in right now, especially the newer states like, you know, Nevada and, you know, some of those places where, you know, it's, you know, it's been, you know, out for a little bit, but there's still a lot of learning to do out there. And we've been spending a lot of time out there because, you know, we think that's a good, you know, a really good market obviously and it's going to be you know hopefully one day the Amsterdam of you know the U.S. as far as you know cannabis you know tourism and you know whatnot but I think yeah. it's you know just the the fact that you're still on the ground level and now they're talking about like consumption lounges and you know stuff like that and I think that's exciting because I think you know that's I think really where Washington Oregon kind of messed up too was you know where are supposed where are people supposed to consume at yeah. now that we have this great product and we want people to come and try it and but they can't use it in their hotel room they can't use it on the street they can't I mean, it's like so yep. what are we supposed to do and so those are those are things I think that continually need to be talked about and hopefully one state will do it correctly and then use it as sort of the poster child for everyone else to sort of see like this is a, a, okay it's fine you know like let's have a consumption lounge let's just do it smart and let's not you know like allow dumb things to happen there and it'll be great it's just like you know a bar you know it's like no big deal but you know someone needs to be just you know the first one to do it and hopefully Nevada is the one that gets that going I know you know like uh, Colorado I think they you know had a couple of licenses they started going giving out for consumption right. lounges and you know but isn't it the, isn't it kind of the case that because you can smoke cigarettes in in Nevada inside in Nevada that doesn't that make kind of make it easier like there's no yeah. there's no clean air act. clean yeah. air acts in these states that, like in California or here in Oregon yeah where that's yeah you can't get around it yeah. right yeah, I mean you can smoke cigarettes everywhere in in, in Vegas so I don't know I and I'm you, sure that's got something to do with it. Then that. the funny part is they don't, and, and the first iteration of the consumption lounge in Vegas is not allowing for any sort of patio areas within these consumption lounges. So you have to be inside. You have to be inside. Be consumed by the smoke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. They're, we're, they're, it's like the van and Cheech and Chong's up in smoke, you know, they open it up and like, all right. Um, all right, so... Uh, so last question I wanted to ask you as someone who um, has been using cannabis smoking weed for a long time like what when how do you def- what, how do you define quality cannabis what's good cannabis to you what do you like to smoke what do you like to purchase you know what do you when you go into a shop like what's your decision making I'm we're, I'm curious I, I want to start sort of asking our guests this you're the first guest I've asked this but this is sort of a question I kind of want to end on because I want to sort of start a I don't know, a user, like a database, <laughs> you know, well, I'm very about, curious. We talk about this a lot because quality cannabis doesn't have a universal definition. Yeah. A lot of people look to the look and aesthetics or the smell or the cannabinoid profile or the terpene profile or the grower info. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, we, we are. And a lot of people just want the highest high THC sure. right. test results for the least money, you know? Right. So yeah. yeah. And like, then, which is, you know, which is not fine, but you know, we're not, criti- I don't want to criticize. <laughs> 
right. I want to criticize. You do want to criticize. criticize. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to play both sides here. <laughs> but, but yeah, so we're just, we're trying to collect as much kind of sure. data as possible. Yeah, anecdotal, you know, whatever. Like, yeah. you know, I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, either, but no, I'm curious, no. you know. I, you know, it actually, it's good. It makes, it makes you think, right? Because I think mm-hmm. it is, it's, it's hard to talk about that in the sense of like a commodity, like what makes it quality versus, you know, just like everything else, right? Exactly. So, you know, I, I again, I am not, I'm not as, you know, I'm not, a grower i'm not a producer processor yeah. and i've never you know like been on that side of the world where i can you know just know you know by looking at something like oh it's just been flushed well or right. this or that you know right. and you know so I've, I've spent a lot of time of course you know doing the magazine and learning through that channel and you know speaking to a lot of you know people who are amazing at what they do and you know some of the you know the, the best people in the world and you know again it's, i think it just comes down to you know like was it was it made with care you know was it made with passion you know mm-hmm. and and was there someone behind it that actually you know, gave a sh- about it, you know, yeah. and I think that's something that I don't, I don't think you ever have anything bad if you do it the right way, you know, and I think that in the sense of like, even, you know, making a coffee table, you know, or in, especially in, in Oregon and Portland here is like, you know, the food scene, you know, it's like, there's so much care and love put into the, the ingredients and into the, you know, the, the creation of these dishes and, and the food here. It's like, uh, every time I come here, I'm, I never have a bad meal, you know? Yeah, and, sure. and so I think it's, it's in, hard to have a bad, you got to really try yeah, unless yeah. you, you know, going to Arby's or something. But, you know, I think <laughs> if you're, if you're doing it right and you're following the people who actually, you know, like do, you know, take pride in their craft, you know, and I think they're always going to have a, a quality product. So I've been blessed to be able to try, you know, a lot of the, especially, you know, out of Oregon, you know, during the cups and stuff, there's always, you know, some residuals that, you know, we get at least, you know. Oh, some stuff gets left behind. <laughs> crumbs uh, yeah. left behind. Yeah. Yeah. Get a, a smoke, oh, I can't imagine. I can't only imagine what you guys get left with at the end of one of those. Like, so we, uh, we're lucky enough to be able to. Talk about a Scrooge McDuck pool <laughs> full of like just weed. Yeah. Woo! Right. Yeah, I wish I, I, you know, some some t- part of me wishes that I was still a, a judge like I was in the early dope cups. But, uh, you know, we handed it off to much more certified people. But I think it's something that, you know, I've been able to see sort of the quality products that come out of Oregon. And and again, the ones that always come up are usually the, the more craft, usually the more sort of small batch, yeah. you know, artisanal sort of like mm. growers that you can just tell are probably, you know, singing to their plants at nighttime because mm. it show, yeah. <laughs> shows in the in the quality it of does. it. It does. Yeah. I love that you're highlighting this because it's something that I really like take to heart when mm-hmm. I think about quality cannabis and how I choose my weed of just like did the people love the plants (laughs) did they love what they were doing were those people also taken care of from uh, just a kind of like employee like uh, uh, fair like ethical work standards you know approach were the people happy who are growing it weed is a bioaccumulator it accumulates up whatever inputs you put into it I believe that energy also is in in around that zone yeah yeah and there's definitely brands that you know you you relate to having good energy yeah good people and it always shows in their product and you know it amazes me year after year when we do the cups and whatnot and we kind of see you know every, and everything's blind so no one knows whose is what mm-hmm. and so at the end it's it seems that you notice like wow this a lot of the same people get the awards year after year after year and there's no other reason than they're just putting out good quality product every single time and it's a pretty amazing that, that you know mm. that you you see that consistency come through with those brands that you know are doing it right mm. yeah. nice all right well james zahadni thank you so much for joining us today yes. um we're gonna leave it there you are listening to this is cannabis on x-ray fm and we will be right back Is Cannabis from X-Ray FM is available as a podcast through the Apple Music Store. Please rate and subscribe so that if you ever miss an episode live on the air, you can still keep up with us.
Thank you for staying with us. You are listening to This is Cannabis on X-Ray FM, the show that takes an insider look at the Oregon cannabis scene. My name is Lee Henderson, co-founder of Portland Craft Cannabis Company, Hi-Fi Farms, and with me is Emma Chasen, the founder of Eminent Consulting. And now is the time when we make recommendations. Ooey, ooey. Hello, what do you have? What do I what have? What does ooey, ooey? Do... <laughs> uh, let's just move past it. Go right through it. I enjoyed that. An exclamation of excitement. So I have been staying with Matt. And Matt is a very incredible, accomplished musician who listens to a lot of cool, cool music. I love cool music, but I have no idea where to find it. Okay. Like, I'm not good at seeking it out. Right. Um, and so staying with him, he's been, like, playing a ton of, like, amazing music that I love. And so I've been really into Mogwai, which is mm-hmm. a post-rock band from scotland um and uh pinback as well oh, yeah. love pinback. oh my god love pinback <clears throat> i saw them at the wonder ballroom on tuesday night nice. um and they were wonderful is it still the two guys still the two guys that's awesome rocking it yeah. oh my god their voices are beautiful if you have They're really great never listened to pinback my favorite is crutch i think it's so gorgeous it's just like the perfect what matt calls it the perfect like oregon driving music like just like driving through the forests of oregon it's yeah. just like so chill but also like kind of poppy yeah, and you yeah. can dance to it um and then mogwai uh if you are looking to kind of start somewhere, listen to Get High and listen to How to Be a Werewolf. And it's amazing. Oh, just the way that it like you really can feel it in your like in viscerally. So you feel it in like your chest and your stomach and your heart. And it's so beautiful. So I would imagine that on the based on those, I would imagine I'd like to recommend a couple more bands to you please so it sounds I'm like hungry for it so sounds like um there's a band called explosions in the sky okay uh there's a band called and you will know know us by the trail of the dead okay <clears throat> and they're more on the mogwai cool sort of thing cool um and then more on the pinback tip is uh sort of all the john mcintyre bands like the the sea and cake oh i love the sea and okay. cake yeah, I, yeah, we've yeah. been listening to a lot of that as well <clears throat> that this sort week. of thing yeah 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 uh, very, very similar. I don't, it, it may be because I just was listening to them both at the same time. I mean, the C and Cake and Pinback Man, that I lived on those, some of those records. I went in a band called Tortoise. Okay. Um, which is a very, yes, which you, Matt I'm has sure also talked about. to me yeah, yeah. about Tortoise and played for me. I uh, believe. great, amazing, mm-hmm. amazing, amazing stuff. And, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, like those, those, like the, especially the first Pinback record in particular, uh, is like, totally just you know how uh, an album will just speak for a period of time in your life yes pin the, f- the first pinback record like literally like is a period of time in my life mm. uh, that record in particular mm. so i see that i mean their music 99 ish that, that when i was uh, i was 22 years old yeah so. yeah very cool very cool i'm gonna make some rec- musical recommendations off, off mic too because now that i know that you yeah. kinda, where where what your interests yes are a little write better. them down for me i am like a sponge to that very cool yeah very cool. Um, all right. So my recommendation, again, piggybacking off of our uh, the introductory segment of our show, is I wanted to list off some of the books on Russia that I like yeah. have read and would recommend if anyone is interested in um, either sort of, you know, late period Cold War or even uh, kind of modern day um Russia. So here, here are a couple. There's a book called The Main Enemy, which is by a, a guy named James Risen. And The Main Enemy is the story of the CIA and the KGB at the very end of the Cold War and all the back and forth mm. and what was happening, um, which was uh, it was a, it's reads like a spy novel. It's true. You wow. know, it's nonfiction, but it reads like a spy novel. Super killer book. Wow. Um, very interesting. Uh, very like old, like John Le Carre sort of old school spy okay. feel. You okay. know, um, there is a book called uh, on the similar. There are two books by the same guy, David Hoffman. Uh, one is called Billion Dollar Spy, which tells the story of a guy named uh, I think his name was Adolf Tolkachev. He was a very disgruntled sort of um, Soviet engineer. He reached out to the CIA and he he fed the CIA um, Russia, Soviet military secrets all through the late 70s and the early 80s he was eventually he was eventually um 
found out and executed by the Soviets. But he wow. gave he gave he he's like he was one of those guys that like you know the untold story of like one of the guys that single handedly won the Cold War for the United States because he he gave so much information about the Soviet military to the United States back in in you know up till about eighty five I want to say and then he was. And then there was a there was a CIA double agent named Aldrich Ames mm. uh, who was spying for the Soviets. And when he had to leave the country, he was about to found be found out. He turned in this Russian guy to the Russians to the Soviets, and then they they arrested him and, sh- and executed him. Very very interesting story. Very nerve wracking because I mean this was like again this all happened, but it's like a series of passing notes and parking lots and microfilm. And this guy had to smuggle things out. And you know I mean it's so cool. Very very cool. There's also a, a book by the same guy, David Hoffman, called The Dead Hand, which is a story of sort of, um, you know, mutually assured destruction uh, between the in the Cold War between the United States and, and the Soviet Union with, with regards to nuclear weapons mm. and the, the systems that if we, you know, if the U.S. had, you know, launched a first strike and took out the Soviet military and everyone died, but still they the, the, how the weapon system worked and how it was developed so that the Soviets would then retaliate, even though like it was like a, a trigger, a dead mm. man's switch. Um, and it just, you know, it's again, just more, more cold war, late air, cold war stuff. Um, and then the two, uh, books that are, are a little more, less, a little sort of sexy and, 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 and spy-y, um, really, really brilliant book by David Remnick, who is now the editor of the New Yorker. He's a very famous, uh, writer and journalist. He wrote a, a, a book called Lenin's Tomb, which sort of is his memoir of living in the Soviet Union at the end of the Cold War from about, I think, like he was there from like 84 to, you know, probably 91 or 92. Mm. And he was a writer for the New York Times or maybe the Washington Post. He was like their, the Moscow bureau chief and He's it's a and it's like a thousand page book. It's a huge book. And it's, uh, but it's really but he's a really, really brilliant journalist, one of the best journalists, I think, you know, still kind of around. And, you know, he was he was in touch with Solzhenitsyn and he was in touch with Gorbachev and he was in touch with, you know, some of these other and the, the kind of the Soviet ministry officials who were on the other side, who were very you know, more on the side of the KGB, who were sort of fighting Glasnost and, and Perestroika and sort of fighting the opening up of the of the Soviet Union to the West. And um tells this this the, the story of the end of the cold war while living in soviet union but as an american journalist wow and then finally uh there's a book called the road to unfreedom by a guy called uh timothy snyder which talks about modern day russia under mm-hmm. putin why putin is who he is why he does what he does why he's sowing chaos which in the West. that story is fascinating the road to unfreedom then is a great is a okay. great book and cool. it sort of explains sort of the pathology of you know the russian state in general post cold war having you know uh, especially post '90s, sort of construct, you know, uh, not reconstruction, but you know, when they sort of, de- you know, democratization, but they really when they turned into an oligarchy, and how Putin consolidated consolidated power, and oh, it's a it's it's dark, mm. it's dark as hell. Mm. So, but yeah, so I, again, I'm pretty fascinated with this stuff, and I uh, think it's really interesting, and 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 can be in, can instructive and informative, you know, mm. and something to worry about mm. should. Our country did send into darkness and yep. oligarchy, which feels like we're on that slide. Sometimes we're fighting back. We are. Um, all right, that does it for this week's This Is Cannabis. Uh, please remember to email questions, comments, and musical submissions to This Is Cannabis at xray.fm. Please also be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is uh, at This Is Canna on Xray. This is Cannabis is engineered by Will Romy, and our theme music is the song Impossible OK by Portland artist Motric. Please be sure to check them out on Spotify. Wubba, wubba, wubba. Good night and good luck, and thanks so much for listening.